Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest episode of the Empire Podcast Spoiler Specials dedicated to The Mandalorian. Oh yes indeed, in this case we will be talking specifically about Chapter 12, aka The Siege. Not to be confused with the Dental Washington Annette Benning Bruce Willis movie <laughs> of the same name. Uh, this one is a cracking episode, in my opinion, of The Mandalorian, written as usual by Favs himself, John Favreau, and directed for the first time by Grief Karga himself, Carl Weathers. How exciting! Ooh. And joining me to discuss this episode are my three colleagues of such lethal cunning as per usual. First up is our very own Cara Dune, mainly because she's much given to saying imperial trash. It's mm. Helen O'Hara. I do say that, yes. Hello. Hi. Yeah. yeah. Of course, Imperial Trash is what Han and Leia and Luke and Chewie found themselves in in uh, on the Death Star in the original Star Wars. It is. So, it is. Yeah. There you go. Amazing. Anyway, welcome. Welcome, Helen. Next up, we have someone who doesn't need a protocol droid to tell him how many orbits there are in the Kessel system. He already knows this shit off by heart. It's James Dyer. Yes, my first job was programming binary load lifters. Very similar to your evaporators <laughs> in most respects. <laughs> With the subtitles on, I paid close attention to the protocol <laughs> droids lecture. It was boring AF, uh, but maybe, I don't know, maybe hints at where this, this show may be going. Uh, and last but not least, we have a young whippersnapper who has just used the force to eat some macaroons and has now been sick all down his front, but you just can't stay <laughs> mad at him. It's Ben Travis. Hello. Has anyone got a cape that I can use to just brush this sick off? That'd be really handy. <laughs> Why don't you just magic one across the room with your special force powers? Fine, do yeah. the magic hand thing. Do the magic hand. <laughs> do the magic hand thing. Uh, but before we dig into the show, we got a very special treat for you guys. For the first time this season, we're going to hear from the director of the episode. But that, of course, that means it's not just the director of the episode. It's also the man who starred in the episode, Grief Karga himself, the legendary Carl Weathers. And here's what he had to say about the episode's many twists and turns and the challenge of finding himself in the director's chair. NB, we haven't recorded the interview at the time I'm recording this bit, so <laughs> fingers crossed. Here's Carl Weathers. Enjoy. Uh, before we begin, it's a cracking episode. I've, I've watched it twice already today. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm really, really pleased with uh, just everything the team did. And I mean, it was uh, it was really uh, one of those undertakings where the deeper we got into it, mm -hmm. the more intricate you could see that it was. And still to keep the fun and the energy of Star Wars material along with uh, capitalizing on these wonderful talents we had in front of the camera, uh, Grief Karga being just one of the most amazing of them all. <laughs> uh, you know, I just, I just was a very, I, I got a lucky draw. You know, John, John handed me that script, and that was a lucky draw, man. Well, that's 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 interesting because I was going to ask about that. I was going to ask about how episodes are assigned because you this episode looks like you had a blast playing Grief Karga. It looks like you had a blast directing it. But I also I was watching it, Carl, going, would you have preferred an episode that you weren't also starring in as well? So how did this episode come your way? Well, the way John assigns, I have no idea. I, I didn't ask. 
I ask too many questions, so I have to find a point where I back off a bit and not become too intrusive. So um, I don't know how he came to this one for me. I suspect, I suspect John is a very, uh, really bright guy. You know, and I don't mean that as, as we talk about a lot of people, they're, oh, they're really smart and all that. Yes, he's that, but he's really aware and he really has a good sense of things. So I would suspect that part of it was his sense of the people who were going to direct episodes and what was it about them that he could capture as, as a producer and that he thought that particular director would maybe uh, bring the best of himself or herself uh, to the work to give that episode the kind of juice it needed, you know? Mm-hmm. I know if I were producing, I, I would approach it to a certain degree that way. You know, uh, everyone has different sensibilities, regardless of your, your talent and your ability to, uh, to work the craft of directing. Mm-hmm. But how do you work with certain people and try to get the best out of them while telling the story, you know, which is obviously the point, telling the mm. story. So, you know, that's how I think, uh, I think one would, would go about assigning the different episodes, unless it was just, okay, I got a crapshoot here, who do I go with, or who's available, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's that yeah. too. Uh, yeah. But early on, you know, I, I requested and let him know that I was really interested in directing. Yeah. Uh, so that was uh, during season one. I let him know that actually before before I really signed on, I let him know because we 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 know each other through the Directors Guild, of which I'm a member and have been since '93. And uh, of course, he's a member, and uh, I've been on the board and on the Western Council, and mm. uh, so we met that way. So that's, you know, that's kind of the backstory on all that. Now, relative to directing and being in front of the camera in the same show, as opposed to directing and not being in front of the camera, I think being in front of the camera, I've done it once before, but this time, because we have so many parts, (laughs) moving parts to The Mandalorian, the unbelievable artists who put all the uh, sets together that you see, virtual and otherwise, you know, actual, and how then through the magnificent computer graphic people, how it's all married and is so seamlessly presented to the audience. Hmm. Uh, To the the actual talent in front of the camera, to uh, the wonderful DP that I got a chance to work with, Matt Jensen, yeah. to uh, editor Jeff Sivanek, uh, uh, to even Gorenson's music and, and, this, and the sound effects. I mean, man, what help you get when you have all those people come in, you know, uh, and really kind of put... it it was almost as if you have an empty house and they bring all the furniture in, (laughs) you know, you build a house, 
you you paint, you design, you do all that stuff, and and then you open the door for the first time and you see it all and it's just a bu- big, beautiful room. But then somebody comes in and they decorate it, you know? Yes. And uh, being, being in front of the camera as I'm directing gives me kind of a dual view. It gives me a view within the scene as I'm moving around and, and doing my best to make sure that working with the other actors, I can create pictures that are engaging, the visual is engaging, and sort of gauge with the different body types and sizes, how all that's gonna look, you know, Mm. uh, on a particular set and then given in a particular environment. And then I have the ability, obviously, to stand back, let the guy who who is actually a stand-in for me walk through it and I can see it, and then I have playback, which there's a great, you know, advantage to being able to record what you're doing, shoot it, and then going and if you have the time and if you need to go and look at a monitor and say, yeah, no, that's not quite what I wanted or this, you know, is what I want or let's mm-hmm. move on or whatever the case may be. When you're not in the scene and you're behind the camera, it's a different, uh, it's a different exercise and a different kind of eyeball you utilize it has its own kind of luxuries you, you don't have to worry about your makeup you don't yes. have to worry, yes. worry about your wardrobe you don't have to worry about what you look like you know sucking in your gut i mean you don't have to worry about that <laughs> stuff you know I, I and the reason i say that is i love a lot of the old movies and the old black and white movies with you know these wonderful wonderful movie stars who like are in their forties and fifties, man. And the guy's got to go without a shirt and you see him holding in and he doesn't even breathe. You know what I mean? <laughs> because yeah. if he does plop, you know, uh, but it's just, uh, it's just all that stuff, just being aware of it and being conscious of it feeds into what you're doing. Uh, you know, that's kind of the inside view because a lot of people, you know, who are watching this are, are, uh, fans of the show. Yeah. You know, that just works for them or it doesn't work in the story. But for us, it's all these little details, you know. So in terms of those little details and in terms of the, the script, because John writes the, the script for most of the episodes, yeah. uh, how much input do you have as director? How much, you know, how much, how much can you shape the story and shape the episode and shape where grief goes, for example, as, as, as the episode goes on? Well, I mean, there's a certain amount of input, but, but my experience with John and usually in, in television and streaming, you don't get a lot of time to work with a script. It's handed to you. Uh, it is 98, 99% there usually, you know, uh, and you can find maybe places to tweak or you can look at the way you're going to shoot something and decide what is really pertinent information that a, that a, an audience needs in order for them to really get the story mm-hmm. or how much attention you need to p- put on certain parts of the story. So that's always input in that way as a director. But, you know, the collaborative part of this whole thing, you know, movie making, streaming shows, television, whatever it is, the visual medium, there is the script and then there's shooting the movie. And then there's making the movie. <laughs> so right down to editing in post-production, 
is when so often adjustments are being made. Uh, so you could, you know, theoretically shoot, my God, so much more than you actually see on screen. And when it goes through that process of editing and the producers and the execs look at it and say, you know, we don't need that. We don't need this. We don't need that. You can wind up with something hopefully much better because it's leaner. Unfortunately, there are times where it's not better. You know, you get all those, uh, all those uh, folks after the fact who want to put their stamp on it, their imprimatur yeah. on it, and maybe not do so well with it. But I was lucky, man, in this one, because I think at every step of the way, having really great producers, uh, John and Dave, John, you know, Favreau and Dave Filoni, and then hmm. having uh, all of the wonderful people that we work with uh, just improved at each step. And whatever comments I had uh, that worked is just part of the process. There's a few specific things from the episode that I wanted to dig into, Carl. Uh, and I, the episode has been up, and we're talking now, the episode has been up for about 10 hours. Yes. Uh, and the last time I checked, Twitter was having a lot of fun with Baby Yoda from this episode. There is a, a, a that's what I'm going to call the child, but um, I don't I know what you call it. Baby, okay, but yeah, people call it Baby <laughs> okay. Yoda. I just call it the baby, yeah. Excellent, all right. The kid. Let's go with the baby or the kid. Uh, that, that's, yeah. Let's go with that. Uh, because this is a very fun episode for the baby. And uh, I imagine you relished an awful lot a lot. So we, we have we have the baby trying to eat macarons. We have the, the baby being a terrible mechanic. And we have, yes. of course, Carl, you know, raising his arms in jubilation. And also we have to talk about Baby Yoda being sick. As a director, where did that come from? And how, how much fun was it directing that character for you? Well, first of all, I fell in love with the baby in the first season, and clearly uh, audiences did too. So when this episode came around, my request with John was to have more of the baby. You know, uh, I know what the show is about. It's called The Mandalorian, so that sort of <laughs> takes care of that. But his sidekick, his um, his ward, you know, his little, his little being that accompanies him on his journey, on his adventures, has this, this sweetness, has this obviously childlike quality that we all love in little ones, you know, before they can say no <laughs> and, and, and throw things and all that and have tantrums, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, when I read the script, um, one of my comments, and, and it's, I think, I hope it was a real contribution, was to ask John to put more of the baby in there, you know? And it wasn't just me wanting to, to somehow uh, tinker with the script, but there was something about the, the journey that we're on that is fraught with danger, and is very action, obviously, very action-oriented. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of uh, weapons fire and, and bad guys going down and chases and all that good stuff. Explosions. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's like a panoply of all the good stuff in action movies, right? But there's also, with the baby, this gentler, softer, 
uh, sweeter side that comes out of everyone who interacts with the baby. And that to me was just a wonderful balance. So having more of him, of it, because I'm not sure what its sex is, and I don't think it matters because it's so sweet, you know? Uh, And John crafted these scenes so beautifully. Uh, I was fortunate in that I got that one scene with the baby that made me happy, you know? (laughs) Um, So uh, I'm a fan of the babies also, you know, of the kid. I'm a real fan and uh, would love to see even more of him. Or it. The, the the scene, not to dwell too much on it, Carl. Obviously, but the the scene where where the baby does throw up yes. uh, was that a was that a practical effect? Was that something added later? Uh, how did you how did you manage no, that? That 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 was practical, but uh, that was way down the road in us in us shooting. You know, the whole thing with the with the I don't know if it was a macaroon or a the almond tasting things. I know macaroon, yes. that, but yeah. there's a, I forget the name of the thing. But at any rate, uh, the thing that made it work was the combination of the color. And you never expect that that's where it's going to go. But, you know, with twirl, 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 I mean, eventually we'd all go, you know. So it made it so sweet. And also, what what happens with babies when they you know, partake a little too much of certain things mm-hmm. that aren't right for their stomachs. You know, it's like, bleh. <laughs> and, um, and then of course the Mandalorian was, you know, treated it as we would all treat our, our little ones, you know, <laughs> I just think there's so much in this episode for so many people and different age groups, which is the thing I love, you know, because I, what I've become so aware of as I, as I, as I mature, <laughs> is that, uh, you know, people are really, really careful and concerned about what their children are being fed, yeah. you know, whether it's through the media or, or actual food that, that is going into their bodies. I mean, it's all going into our bodies, actually, whether it's visual or not. But it's good to have something, I think, where you can have that combination and you can sit with your children and watch The Mandalorian. And certainly you can watch episode 12, The Siege, because it's <laughs> built for children. <laughs> the child in me loved it. Yeah, well, it's built for children, but it's also built, I think, for really hardcore Star Wars fans. Oh. I was watching the episode and I was thinking, it's such a, it's such a deliberate throwback you have yes. characters you have tie fighters you have speeder bikes you have characters running around an imperial base shooting stormtroopers you say at one point you say something like can't this thing go any faster which is such a quintessential yes. star wars line yes, yes. harrison yeah. ford would have been screaming that can't this thing go any faster <laughs> yeah yeah so that was something you were very much leaning into as a director in this oh, episode absolutely because look first of all the real hardcore fans know who Dave Filoni is. Maybe a lot of people who tuned into The Mandalorian and, and are enjoying it wouldn't know who Dave Filoni is. Dave Filoni, one of our producers, is also a director uh, on the first season and this season. Mm-hmm. And Dave has been at the right hand of the Star Wars inventor, you know, since mm. Dave worked there. Uh, so he knows 
everything <laughs> about Star Wars. I mean, he's like an encyclopedia. So I had, what a resource there. And of course, John knows an awful lot. And he's got Dave's ear. And the two of them can conjure up all kinds of little nuggets to tuck into the episodes that you wouldn't even think of, really, if you were just writing a script that was a one-off. But the research that goes into these things and the callbacks that goes in with just a little visual, you know, with the, the emblem going down on the, t it's like, what does that mean? It means something to people who are really hardcore Star Wars people, you know? So there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of beautiful little, little elements in the siege that will bring a lot of joy to a lot of people. As you said, I think it really is hearkening back to the, the, the Star Wars iconography and the Star Wars uh, language, for lack of a better word, you know? Yeah. You know, there are little seeds planted for future episodes. And I know you can't talk about what happens in, in the future of this show, Carl, but... I can talk about it, but I won't talk about it. Now, how's that? Even better. Uh, listen, you know, for example, the the scene in the Imperial base where there is some sort of misshapen, experimented upon body floating in a tank. As as director, how much do you know about what that is? Is that something John and Dave have studied into the script? Do you discuss that with them? Yeah, I, I mean, of course, because I've got to shoot it and and basically understand its importance and how it fits into story and... Uh, what what it will mean to people watching, uh, mm -hmm. and actually, in in that scene when you listen to the dialogue, uh, it's pretty much explained, you know, without saying, "Okay, now let us tell you what this is, what this means, and what this is all about." But Cara Dune asks questions, and uh, you know, a Mandalorian says something, and I'm just kind of struck that, holy moly, didn't know that this was what this is. I thought it was something else, you know? Yeah. But we all find out almost simultaneously, which means the audience finds out. And then we have the character in the hologram who comes and pretty much underscores what it's all about and who is really responsible for it all. Mm -hmm. So we understand now that this episode really is calling back to all of the, the stuff that's been going on out there and uh, what the Mandalorian is up against and what we're all up against with, you know, that, that guy called Moff Gideon out there in the world, you know, or in the outer world or in the outer regions or whatever it is that he's out <laughs> there. But I, I loved it because there was like, there was no, there was almost no track laid to tell you what this was going to be about. And so as you followed it, the challenge for me as a director, and I'm certain the challenge for John as a writer, producer was keeping people engaged, wanting to know what's going to happen next. And when you find out what is really involved here, now it's ramping it up for the people who are involved in the kind of jeopardy they may be in, and then finally getting to, you know, oh, man, this thing is much bigger than we thought. And likewise as well with the last scene 
of the episode with Moff yeah. Gideon, with with Giancarlo Esposito. Uh, great to see him properly back in the show as well. Um, what can you say about what's happening at the end of the episode, Carl, with the, the souped-up stormtroopers that uh, Moff Gideon seems to be? They're not just souped up. They are, man, they're, uh, they're on uber steroids. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, but he, he really, he's a bad guy. You know, as, as we used to, as we used to say when I was a kid, uh, actually, I remember Muhammad Ali saying, it, I'm a bad man. <laughs> well, guess what? Moff Gideon is a bad man. <laughs> you know, uh, he has, um, he has plans. And I got to tell you, I think anyone in the path <laughs> is going to find trouble <laughs> because you look at that last scene, and particularly the very last shot when, you know, I pull back and you reveal, oh, mm-hmm. my goodness, man. It's like, and it's all kind of an interesting way. What I love about it is it's mystery, but it's not because there's something about the colors and how much of it there is and him standing in the middle of it with a few science guys moving around. It, it's like, whoa, it's like, you know, uh, walking into one of those, uh, one of those uh, 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 things at the, at the, at the at amusement park. Yeah. And you've got the Hall of Mirrors, and it just goes on and on forever. That's That was the, the whole thing we were looking for in there and kind of what you get, you know? You're talking about, you know, the people who may be in Moff Gideon's path as the episodes go on. Uh, I would imagine Grief may be one of those people, because even though he seems to be a bit more, you know, he's left a bounty hunter life behind. We haven't seen him for a while. He's dressed more elegantly, but he's also clearly a guy who still has a has a, a knack for the fight he has a knack for the battle is that, is that fair to say oh absolutely i i think uh I, you know again when you there, there's such a fine line in telling a story of laying track or, or laying pipe and not laying enough or laying too much and what I think uh, I love personally about what John did was he laid pipe or laid track, but you didn't know where it was going until you got there because you didn't actually see the track or the pipe. You know, so very often when we watch uh, visual entertainment, movies, television, you can know where the story is going before the story ever gets there, you know? And in this one, I don't think there's any way for you to know or have known where this was going to go and how it was going to play itself out. So with grief, you know, in season one, he was uh, playing the room. You know, he was larger than life. He was a guy who was was sitting on the throne in the kingdom and would let everybody know it, that he was the man. And now in season two, he has done what he set out to do in cleaning up this planet. Almost. There's one last task that he wants to take care of. And lo and behold, wow. You know, Moff Gideon is a little little more at work than we thought. I mean, this guy's got his fingers in a lot of pies, you know? 
So I think for 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 grief, it is it's it, there's a fine fine line in getting what you want and being content with it, and getting what you want and then wanting more. You know, uh, grief I think is a guy who's satisfied as long as you can keep the fly out of the ointment or the, the stone out of the shoe. Yeah. But when you get some irritation there, he can jump back to who he was in a heartbeat. I don't think it's left him, you know? And uh, that scene with the guy, when the, the cop comes and is interviewing him, you can tell he's just, uh, you know, it's like, come on, I, I've got a little toy here and the cat's trying to catch it and there's no way I'm going to let you catch it. Come back and see me another time. Right. Uh, I, I, I just think modulating all that stuff is a challenge, but when it's laid out really well, you get a chance to see what you see. And obviously our, again, our, our Matt Jensen did a great job on shooting everything and, and, and Jeff as an editor, really a joy to work with. And of course, then I've got, you know, the real mm. backstop is John. So yeah. uh, I, was kind of, I was kind of taken care of, you might say. But it's so much fun. I mean, you get that, that, that extended chase sequence with the uh, initially the speeder bikes and then the TIE fighters and then Mando swooping in to save the day is so much fun. And I imagine both from a directing standpoint for you, Carl, but also from an acting standpoint, because sitting at the controls of one of those Star Wars guns pretending to shoot TIE fighters must be one of the most joyful things an actor can do. It was all joyful. I mean, look, uh, throughout my career, there's been an awful lot of running and gunning, <laughs> you know, and uh, there is no lack of that in this episode, for sure. We've got, basically, we've got, uh, for the action sequence, just, we've got three stories. We've got the big shootouts, because there's so much firepower going on, you know, uh, in, in the, the big it's almost like an air, airplane hangar with yeah. corridors and all that sort of stuff going on. So there's that. And then we make our escape. And then we've got, as you said, with the shooters, and the scooters and, and yeah. us being in the giant, you know, uh, my God, like a, like a cargo ship on, on, it's not no wheels. So it's, you know, use, utilizing whatever propulsion it has and the air cushion under it and through that narrow tunnel and, uh, uh, or Canyon and, uh, and how close, you know, we came to being after that thinking we are escaping and here come the tie fighters. And it's like, Holy moly. So you got three, three stories in that entire sequence and how we escape it and manage it. And, and then, of course, you've got the wonderful Mandalorian who, you know, thank God for him, because uh, I don't know what would have happened to us. Uh, <laughs> but it's, you know, it, it's, it's a really rich episode, as I said. And, and we get to see Cara Dune doing her thing from the very opening of it, of the show, which I forgot to mention, which is one of my favorite sequences in it, mm. you know? Yeah, there's just so much in this that is joyous to me as a director and, and as a as a part of the Mandalorian. I'm not always really happy about the work as a director because sometimes it's just, there's so many fingers in there that you don't necessarily end up with what you wanted. But here I am so close to what I wanted in so many instances 
and was pleasantly surprised in others. I didn't know how badly I wanted that until I saw it, you know? I want to shout out to Horatio Sands, who was so wonderful in the episode and such a joy to work with. Because, man, that stuff he had on, whoa, I got to tell you, as an actor, when you got all those applications and you can't breathe and you got, I mean, it's it's brutal. But what a trooper. And, uh, uh, you know, everybody, I thought, man, just really jumped in and, and were so helpful, you know, and, and, uh, and just, you know, just gave, gave their all. So, yeah. And for him to be funny as well, I mean, to, to be comedic under all that prosthetics, that's, that's not, that's not easy. Unbelievable. I mean, that's what I mean. He, the guy is, the guy is a spectacular man. And, you know, I've watched his work and, and uh, I've always appreciated him back from the days of Saturday Night Live. But, you know, when you get to meet somebody that you've admired their work and then you get a chance to work with them and see them do such spectacular uh, work, then, wow, what a mm. talk about blessings. There's one, you know, Absolutely. and Gina did spectacular, spectacular work. Uh, and Cara Dune, you know, is a badass. There's no question about it. Uh, and then, of course, the Mandalorian and, you know, Pedro and I mean, all the guys who really sort of incorporate that character and help him with that. And, and those guys, as you mentioned, the, you know, the, 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 the other Mandalorians, there's the, the Mandalorian team in, in the armor. Um, Pedro is obviously the, the main part of that, but I think they were all employed in, in, in the course of this episode. They all got to do something. It was a big episode, yeah, because, you know, there's an awful lot of physical work going on there. And having that, that, that wardrobe on, you know, wardrobe is not a proper word for that, man, because it's like armor, you know. So you've got to walk, run, shoot, do all that sort of stuff. And I think one of the, one of the most challenging things you can have as an actor is no ability to utilize your face. I mean, we have all these muscles in our face and in our eyes. And when you don't have that and you have to convey, whew, that is a challenge, man. And it's also a challenge for the people in the scene with you. Because we respond as human beings to all that, to what we see. People give cues, whether they agree with you by nodding their head or whether they go, go from side to side when they laugh at the joke and you see the smile. You know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. But when you've got the Mandalorian, who's literally <laughs> the masked man from head to toe, whoa, you talk about a challenge as an actor and... Uh, the great thing, though, is Pedro's voice just sells it all, man. He just does a wonderful job. Uh, so, I, you know, to me, hats off to all those guys who uh, inhabit that, that, that wardrobe and, and do such a great job and who work so hard at it. Yeah. And just very quickly about that, Carl. I mean, there's, there, there's, we've seen Pedro's face once in the show so far. And uh, I've never seen his face, by the way. He looks terrible. You wouldn't want to see his face. Good to know, because I, I don't need any kind of competition on screen. He <laughs> sounds too handsome, so I don't want to see his face and have that proven that it's true. Oh, no, the reality is terrible. You do not want to see what Pedro Pascal looks like in real life. But uh, there is that scene early on, it's in the cold open, actually, where uh, he is lifting his helmet to to have some food. Yeah. And I imagine Pedro was probably saying to you, oh, can I just can I just lift the helmet a little bit more, just a little bit more so they can see my, my beautiful face? 
I love that. Uh, uh, well, you know, when you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars of plastic surgery and dental work, don't you want to show it off? <laughs> Pedro, I understand, really. But, you know, the edict came down from Disney and from John Favreau. He is not to take this mask off under any circumstances. So what did I do? I said, hell no, when he asked me that. No, no, he, there was no, you know, there's no, there's none of that stuff that goes on. It's just when you get a break, bang, you can rip it off, you know. But other than that, man, uh, the guys, they're all great to work with. Absolutely great. I wanted to ask real quick about the aerial chasing, which is fantastic. And the moment where... Mando, the Razor Crest appears, and the way you frame it, the way you stage that, and the way that Ludwig's music kicks in is tremendous. From a directorial point of view, what was it like staging the the that aerial chase, the aerial battle against the Tie Fighter, and and staging that moment in particular, the moment where Mando uh, appears and saves the day? You know, that's a question that I'd love to ask and tell you how brilliant I was with it. But I'm going to be absolutely honest. The wonderful thing about this show is. And I said this earlier, the storyboard artists, the graphics artists, the editors, the post-production group, the effects people do such an amazing job that you know what you're going to get before you shoot. So, I, I mean, to me, man, that is, that's like the luxury, shooting that kind of stuff. The challenge is, as actors, how do we convey to the audience that we are seeing what the audience is seeing? Oh. You know, it's, it's somewhat like when I did Predator and there was no Predator there, <laughs> you know, but we had to see what eventually the audience was going to see. Yeah. They had to see the dread in our eyes and the surprise in our eyes and the fear in our eyes. And that's essentially, as an actor, what you must do. And we had three wonderful actors, Carl Weathers included, <laughs> <laughs> in the ship, who is watching all this stuff go on. And when we signal that, you know, we see what's happening, and I go, yes, you know, seeing that Mando has come to save the day, then they've, they've already captured that and shown me what was going to be there, you know? Um, so it's not, it's not the hardest thing in the world, and I think anybody who does uh, uh, shows now that are these kinds of shows, you know, know full well that you have hundreds of people working on all these effects pieces that you see uh, in the shows. And the idea that it all looks seamless, that's the job to make sure that what you shoot with camera mm -hmm. and what they're going to put out there or what you're told they're going to put out there is married seamlessly. So I hope that doesn't disappoint anybody, but... Uh, that's the real deal, Lucille. <laughs> Indeed. And then the last thing, the last thing, Carl, is um, can you clear up the time frame of the episode? Because no. the, the whole thing moves at such a lick. It moves at such a rate. Um, 
But Mando arrives with the Razorcrest in a state of disrepair. And then at the end, obviously, it's been repaired. Is it? Does it take place over a day, a week, a couple of hours? Or does it even matter, ultimately? Right. That's right. You just answered the question. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Were you entertained? I was. Did we entertain you? You did. Did you sit there asking, I wonder how long this all took? No. Only after the fact. In hindsight, you're asking these questions. Now, you said you watched it twice. Go back and watch it a third time. (laughs) (laughs) Artfully avoided. In the outer reaches of the universe, time does not exist. And on that note, a great note in which to end. Carl Weathers, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I had a great time speaking with you. Likewise. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Okay, so that was Carl Weathers as Crowded House once sang, always take the weathers with you. Good (laughs) advice, sound advice. And now here we go, delving deep into this episode. I have to say, guys, this has been a really strong season for Mm -hmm. me so far. We're we're four episodes in and it's getting... I think getting better and better. And this is a cracking episode that gives you everything you could possibly want. Lots of Mando action, lots of really great throwback Star Wars action. This feels like, you know, it it was plucked from the the same era as uh, as from when A New Hope came. Mm -hmm. But also you've got some Baby Yoda being cute stuff and you've got some greater overall narrative arc expansion stuff going on here as well. Good, good stuff, everybody. Well done. Take the day off. Well, I thought we'd probably stay and discuss it, but... Oh, you mean them. Oh, yeah. Okay, you mean them. I mean yeah, us. Yeah. I mean us. Oh, I no, was okay. just, you know, I'm so exhilarated after watching that episode <laughs> twice in the last couple of hours. <laughs> Me and too. I just, uh, yeah, I might just, <laughs> I might just lie down for a bit and let you guys talk. Go on, have at it. I, I'll be completely honest. For the first half of the episode, I wasn't quite there. Uh, despite oh, this, Chris just gave <sighs> it a big up, but I wasn't, I wasn't quite there. How? <laughs> in the sense that it was another solid, good, enjoyable episode of The Mandalorian, but that featured them going back to a planet we've already seen, to meet characters we've already met, to go to an Imperial base that has a thing going on and, oh, he's here, so we're going to draft him in to to help us on this mission. And I was like, I I enjoy, we've spoken about this, I enjoy this this sort of adventure of the week thing, but this feels like a remix of stuff we've already seen literally within this first series. And then... Halfway through this episode, we got some really exciting stuff that pushed the whole plot forward that I was sitting there thinking, I just feels a while since we've really learned anything about about Moff Gideon and about Baby we Yoda. We learned that Baby Yoda likes macaroons. Yes. That was enough. Well, that was the midpoint of the episode. This is where it all kicked off. So <laughs> oh. you had that and then you had um, everything they found out at the base and all the action stuff in the second half was so great and it really sort of tipped the balance for me into this season felt like it was it's starting to go somewhere because we're halfway through this series now and I think in this first half of the episode where I thought oh I, I don't know if it's really giving us stuff that we haven't seen yet thinking oh, we're basically halfway through the series now and 20 minutes later I was like we're halfway through the series and I can't wait for the second <laughs> half I, I do think that Baby Yoda has never been cuter than he was in this episode <laughs> from Baby Yoda the engineer at the beginning and the, oh. the inevitability of <laughs> him electrocuting himself <laughs> yeah. to him like just the way he asked for the macaroons like mm-hmm, 
Hmm? Like again, he's like, no, and then he uses the force to steal them. And then, and then, during the dogfight at the end, when he's got his arms in the air like he's his on arms. a roller coaster, yeah. he's loving it. Oh my god, yeah. he's reveling in the death of others. He yeah. loves it. And I was, I was literally sitting there going, "He's definitely going to throw up. He's definitely going. He threw up. All right. Yeah. Maybe Mando threw up as well. You know, that's a lot of G forces Mando's pulling there. I mean, you know, uh-huh. that's maybe why his helmet's there to act as a vomit prevention barrier. I don't think that's how helmets work in the ideal sense, because I think that leads to grossness. He was quite sexy this week, wasn't he? He showed a bit of chin action, which is something you don't normally get from Mando, I'm sure. I was not the only one who was a little aroused by that. I think it's also a a show of kind of trust in Baby Yoda and maybe a a nod to his status as a foundling, which hasn't been much discussed um, specifically, but... um, Mm. You know, that just even to show, even to flash a little bit flash of chin, a little is like, chin. <laughs> you know, flashing a little bit of ankle in the 19th century, isn't it? It's uh, oh my word! Oh, I say, oh. oh, so erotic. He's taken his helmet off before, obviously, of course. But uh, but if anyone thought that last week's encounter with Bo-Katan and the other Mandos would have softened softened him to the point where he was just walking around with Pedro Pascal's face out Golly, uh, in imagine. this episode. Can you sure. imagine such a thing? Uh, they were Obviously, those people would be very, very sadly disappointed. Mm. But uh, I think, you know, this is beginning to point the way to uh, perhaps a softening of the, the Mando helmet policy, as we discussed last week. <laughs> that doesn't sound ideal. You don't like a softened helmet policy? Oh, Helen? God. Anyway, she started it. She started it. I can't be the only one who heard that. Rapidly on from the softened helmet. Ben. (laughs) There was a part, right? To move this forward, there was a part Sorry, in the yes. Bryce Dallas Howard episode in series one um, where I think he had a plate of food and uh, he was brooding in a tower and he, he had a plate of food and we thought, mm. how, how does he eat? How does he make sure no one's going to walk in? That would be awkward mm. walking in and he's got his helmet off and, um, <laughs> and now this is getting back to Helen territory. Um, <laughs> but this, yeah, so it, it was just nice to know that the, the front sort of lifts up a little bit. That that mm. was just like great it cannon. Though? I, it's I thought he was just lifting his helmet up. He was just lifting his helmet up. I thought it had a bit of like a like an Iron Man. No, like it, it, it did seem to be a little bit of an Iron Man thing did going on. Know? I thought so as well. I thought yeah. there was a bit of an Iron Man I thing going on there. there was. Like he had a flap, like a cat flap. <laughs> Like Iron Man flap. I, I mean, think he was just you know. lifting it up a bit, as one would a helmet. Yeah, he was just, just, just sliding just it up it his up. head a bit, have a little of a slurp, and then then pull it, it down did, again. But I just thought there was a bit more angle to it than that. But maybe maybe I'm maybe both Ben and I are wrong. Who knows? I was also very distracted because Baby Yoda was finally having a second round of soup, which is what we've all been <laughs> yeah. waiting for that this series. True. So that is true. Maybe I, maybe I misread that that uh, helmet angling. Mm. He's not growing at all for the amount of food he's consuming, Baby Yoda. Is that realistic? I'm, I'm wondering if there is something in uh, the amount of food he's been eating and the lack of powers until this week that he's been showing, if there's some kind of recuperation thing involved or mm-hmm. growth spurt that we're going to find out about or something. But Baby Yoda thing is interesting this episode, isn't it? Because of what we learn in the lab and what we see in the lab mm. and what that suggests about what um, Moff Gideon is doing. And it makes me maybe wonder about you know the first order and if this is yes. going to actually tie up to the birth of the first order and possibly in, into Snoke himself because those are pretty uh, cobbled together figures mm. in the tank in the way that Snoke was and one has to mm-hmm. wonder if there's a commonality there let's say 
Yeah, there's there's a lot going on at the end of this mm. episode. Though I do will say Fabs is playing with fire. Anytime that you're, you know, talking about midichlorians, which is the one thing that no Star Wars fan ever likes to talk about, you are <laughs> you risking the wrath of the whatever from it. high atop the thing. <laughs> that just made me laugh when he talked, talked about the M kind. The M guy's like, don't say the M word. Don't, <laughs> don't you do don't it. You dare. Don't you dare. Don't you do it. <laughs> does that mean the Jedis could legitimately be called M people? <laughs> yes, yes, it does. They are M people. You've broken this whole thing open. Oh, my God. But, you know, as as we've discussed, like George, if he had had his way, if he hadn't been stopped, um, <laughs> an intervention was an intervention had much. not been staged. They've not wrested the company from him. Um, Most it, people don't get four billion dollars at true. an intervention, <laughs> which is a good thing. But I mean, the whole of the like find the the sequel trilogy was going to be about midichlorians. Like that was going to be his whole thing, which is the one thing oh, I yes. think nobody wanted. And while you might quite rightly say, "Hey, James." Three films about midichlorians. Even that sounds better than The Rise of Fucking Skywalker. Yes, absolutely, that is true. However, nobody was asking for that. Nope. I mean, if they if they manage to combine midichlorians and the whole, like, Snoke was a sort of failed clone of Palpatine thing, <laughs> they've mm. taken two of the least popular sort of mm-hmm. bits of the Star Wars canon, combined <laughs> yeah, them, put them, and put them into the one thing that everybody loves about Star Wars at the moment. That is ballsy as hell. I like I, I like that. I like that. This, this entire season may be Favs frantically polishing a turret, <laughs> and I I love that. If he can somehow legitimize a midichlorians and B, because it's interesting you guys said Snoke, because I thought this was much more about. I thought this was much more uh, pointing Ripley towards and alien, Palpatine. Alien resurrection is that what you saw from? Sorry, it? If, no, I thought, it much, I thought it was much more about Palpatine. Mm-hmm. I thought ah. that's what uh, what he was doing here, and that uh, that it might be something to do with Palpatine and cloning him and maybe a transfusion of midichlorians <laughs> or, uh, you know, to to get him back to his former glory. You know, what with him being dead and stuff at this at, the, at this current point. That's what I thought it was. It could be. Uh, and that would go, tie into all of, we were told, I think, about more than one clone, was it? Or there were suggestions of more than one clone. But wasn't Snoke, the th- thing gets me was, didn't Snoke say something about basically, I was here all along, Palpatine, Palpatine was my guy, you know, rah, 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 I'm best. Um, I'm, the, I'm the best. I'm, I'm you know, you paraphrasing, that? but only a little bit. I, f- I feel like it was something along those lines. So maybe maybe the timeline doesn't work for him to be yeah. um, some kind of clone thing. But, th- you know, it did look like it was two bodies mashed together mm. almost in the tank, which is what well, made me think Smoke of is essentially him. Palpatine's avatar, isn't he? Like, he is, that's mm. his clone that he... And then Palpatine is himself also a clone because he's a clone body controlling a clone body. Like, oh, it's, it's almost as if they didn't think through the story of that film in any way but um uh yeah no the, so let's talk about the ending of this so there, there are there are several moving parts here there's the midichlorians that they're clearly using baby yoda's blood to inject into subjects to create what i can only assume is force sensitives of some kind mm-hmm. so that's part one of this so you're the failed experiments and then when we when we when we join up with moff gideon again we have part two of this, which is Super Stormtroopers, which look a lot like mm. Dark Troopers from the Dark Forces games or Shadow Troopers from some of the later video games. But I, I don't think it necessarily matters whether they're Dark Troopers. They probably won't be that. They look like they are Super Stormtroopers of some kind, whether they are also Force-sensitive, and that's where this is. It seems like his plan is to resurrect the Empire via Super Stormtroopers, which okay. obviously is a nice contrast to shit Stormtroopers, which is what we have. Which is what we <laughs> certainly have. I mean, the fact that two of them crash before their speeder bikes basically even get off the base 
police. You know, love they're a not biker great. scout. They really are incompetent. <laughs> but uh, I love them. I also particularly love the bit at the end where you know. You, the styling, the aesthetic of the room that Gideon in is 100% First Order. It uses the yeah. red slashes, not the white of the Empire, but the red of the First mm. Order. So it does feel like this is a kind of a bridging thing that maybe this is going to be where the First Order comes from. I'm not going to lie. I would absolutely love that. I was saying the other day, just in one of the other pods, that I love how much they remix things from, from different eras of, of the Star Wars trilogy or mm. trilogies, but they don't tend to bring in much of the sequel trilogy stuff. And if this is starting to bring in some of those elements and bridge, because it is playing in that timeline, it's between yeah. the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy. So uh, the sequel duology, Ben. There are only two sequel films. <laughs> no, there was three. There was a third one. It had Babu Frick. It's canon. Hitting James where he's weak yeah, in, in, his, in his regard. <laughs> but it is good, and it would tie into our, um, I've forgotten his name, the X-Wing pilot's warning. Carson Teva. Thank you, Teva's <laughs> warning about, um, you know, there's something going on out here at the rim. There's I can't get this, this you know, mm. the centre to take it seriously, <laughs> but something is happening. Yeah. But this is my point. This is what I was saying earlier. If, if somehow, because I think it is leading to the First Order, mm. and it is... Maybe you guys think Snoke, and I think you're probably right, but it might be sowing the seeds for Palpatine as well. Mm. Uh, so if, because I didn't quite finish my thought, if Favs can somehow legitimise both midichlorians and that shit show of a storyline from Rise of Skywalker, <laughs> then honestly, he Good deserves movie. every medal. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh Ben. Oh, oh poor innocent. Sweet, poor sweet innocent summer child. Macaroons stuffed Ben. <laughs> Uh, can we get something straight? They're macarons, not macaroons. But you I know. say macaroon. It's a fucking macaroon. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, a macaroon is the sort of the bubbly coconut one. Coconut thing. And a macaron is the little round Hang fancy on, one. What yeah. is this Wait madness? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're actually us. spelled differently. They are spelled differently. Macaroon, I know one's macaron. got two O's and one's got one O, but right. I just thought that, that, that was a mistake. These are the mistake. ones with one O. It turns out she's absolutely right. Sorry, Helen. Of course she's fucking right. She's right about everything. I shouldn't have doubted so your you, knowledge so of, of baked goods. They're made with egg whites, um, sugar, and Perfect powdered egg. almond. Um, you can even leave the egg whites for 24 hours before you use them for reasons. Uh, you should always drop the tray before you put them in the oven. Get rid of those air bubbles so you get a nice flat foot, which is the base of the macaron. And of course, mm. usually we'd sandwich them together with some kind of you know, ganache maybe, but uh, they obviously haven't done that. Helen, where do you stand on me Oh, I'm 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 pro milfei, um, yeah. um, unless I have to make them because fuck that, life is too short. Yes, egg whites, whipped cream, ground almonds, icing sugar. Whipped cream? No, there's not whipped no, cream. No, there no, might be whipped cream. Well, it is the BBC says they use whipped cream, but I don't. I'll be honest with you. If given the choice between, um, hang on, the BBC call them macaroons with two O's, and it is a picture of the macaron. Not to be confused with the Macarena, uh, which is, again, different. No. But um, Helen has been exposed as a charlatan. And again, oh, BBC Good Food, macaroons recipe. It seems there is some ambiguity no, here. No, no, I, I refuse. Where do, okay, where do you stand on the uh, scones, scones debate? Scone. Scones. I'm scone. not Irish, for God's sake. Scone. Definitely scone. a scone. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, you want to eat it, but then it's scone. Yeah. yeah. Because exactly it's so that. goddamn tasty, whereas so scone just good. doesn't work. Um, Wait. I'm looking at BBC Good Food and they call them macarons. Hang on. What is this? Whoa, You're whoa, gaslighting whoa, whoa, whoa. me yet whoa. again. Is James looking at BBC Bad look, Food look at instead of BBC yes, Good I'm looking Food? looking at BBC Bad Foods. Uh, <laughs> hang on. No, no, wait, wait. Macaroons recipe, BBC Food. I, 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 well, I'm, on, I'm on BBC Good Food, oh, which is clearly BBC where food, you're going. So clearly that's the problem. <laughs> ah, yes. No, I see now. 
That's a macaroon. The macaroon is the, the coconut thing. The Millennium Falcony looking motherfucker yes. that is a little bit mm. it's flat and round and white with some you know, on the almonds and stuff often. on it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and a, a macaron. I don't like macarons. Neither do I. They're vile. They're not vile. They're, they're no, delicious. They're it just like, depends on what Baby Yoda in- really had the force, he'd have been after someone's fucking Maltesers. No one needs a macaron. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe some uh, Revels as part of the Revel Alliance. <laughs> but Chris, see, that's what you say to the coffee Revel. You are a part of the Revel Alliance and a traitor. Take it away! <laughs> you Revel scum. <laughs> Nobody wants the coffee ones. Nobody wants the coffee. Well, that we can agree on. Yeah, they are the worst revels. Wow, we may have gotten off to- topic here a little, a little tiny bit. I apologise for my role. I think in we that. talked about Paul Hollywood last week, and, and it's just, it's just slowly infested uh, the the podcast. Anyway, I completely forgot to do a um, what do you call it? Synopsis at the beginning of the episode. I'm having a real barnstormer today, uh, but um, I think we've pretty much covered everything. So yes. <laughs> we're, we're good. But, but this uh, this one, like we we were we were set up last week for Ahsoka Tano, and like everyone thought this was coming. But mm. as someone pointed out, this is obviously a Carl Weathers episode, whereas next week's is a Dave Filoni episode. So it made absolute sense that Ahsoka Tano would arrive in a Dave Filoni directed episode. Yeah, how do we know so, that. Uh, how do we know? But- it's on it's on Tinternet. Is yeah. it? Oh, come now, Chris. So, I, you know, I was prepared for a, a brief a brief interlude. But what I, I thought this would be another sort of, you know, procedurally like titting about on a planet interlude. But a mm. lot goes on, a lot of plot mm. stuff, a lot of sort of movement mm. in the overall narrative and tons of action, arguably the best action thus far this season, because I thought it was great. Yeah, it was a lot of action. It was a lot of non-Mando action, mm. actually, because mm. we obviously we have, you know... Um, well, Cara Dune's uh, opening thing, she has a cool opening scene just to establish her badassery um, uh, as a marshal, another marshal. I'm here for marshals this this uh, season. And then also, you know, gets a lot to do as they kind of try and break out of this uh, Imperial base. And also, you know, she and Carl Weathers get the bigger action scene at the climax of the film. I mean, that, you know, Mando comes in and hand solos the, the, the mop-up at the end <laughs> and, you know, gets rid of the last couple of flyers. But, you know, they, they are the sort of Luke Skywalker in that attack sequence. Yes, you're absolutely right. This is the first time in, ta- in the entire season that we have moved away from Mando's POV, really. Mm. Uh, which I thought was was pretty cool, pretty interesting. But a lot of fun throwbacky stuff. I like the fact that they resurrected the Imperial transports, which we talked about. That was one of the famous toys back from the uh, from the eighties, which is good. I like the fact that we saw the uh, the concertina, well, not concertina, the, f- the folding mm. wing Tie Fighters again, which we saw them off Gideon arrive. And I was like, I, I like the little details. Yeah. I think it's fun. Speeder bikes, the lovely speeder bike sound effects. There was yeah. a lot there. A lot the of sound effects were good, and also just the stormtroopers talking to each other during the attack um, when mm. uh, when the three of yes. them were trying to get out, and it just sounded exactly right for Star Wars. It sounded yeah, so yeah, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. And even uh, Mithril when he's trying to get to the control panel to blow yes. up the thing, it's it's very Obi Wan-y looking. The control panel, obviously, not Mithril himself. Yes, yes it's it's yeah. the Death Star um, yeah. factor beam, isn't it? And even to the, the as you say, the sound effect and the little display, it's like it's a nice little throwback. Touch. I also love how uh, Mithril draws attention to the fact that there are no guardrails on these things. I mean, <laughs> the architects of these yeah. Imperial bases are just psychopaths. Mm-hmm. Health and safety. Yeah, just absolute psychopaths. Um, but yeah, I, it felt like a real throwback episode to me, not just because it kept throwing vehicles at us uh, and not just because it had our heroes tiptoeing around an Imperial base shooting anything that moved. But also because of some of the dialogue, as Helen says, you know, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, if you went back and looked at 
and you hope in particular. Mm. I'm pretty sure some of those those lines were word for word from the from the first Star Wars movie, yeah. and even things yes. whenever whenever grief says, you know, can't you make this thing go any faster? You know, these all feel. Mm. Yeah. Almost like we're trapped in a loop uh, in a little way. Um, and again, the show treads the fine line, doesn't it, between fan service and nostalgia and, you know, just masturbatory story storytelling <laughs> and originality in a really, really interesting way. Some people may find that too self-indulgent, but I, I really, no, really I th- like I think they're working the line. I, I had a couple, a, a problem with a couple of lines. Um, I think it's Grief Carga, or no, it's Mando says, uh, you know, keep the speeder running. And it just felt a little bit like, you know, it's obviously a play on keep the meter running. And I'm just a bit like, that. just, it just feels too us and not Star Wars enough, you know, to Earth and not Star Wars. So little tiny things like that sometimes took me out of it. I, I quite like this uh, swear word that they keep using. Is it dank fricker? Dank Farrick. Farrick. D- dank Farrick. Dank Farrick. Um, which I think is going to be their version of, you know, Frack or smeg. smeg. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm enjoying that. Those swearing. F- those fracking smeggers <laughs> with their dank farracks. Yeah. What if this was actually an 18 in the Star Wars universe? <laughs> like, dank farrack is the one thing you do not say under any circumstances. And they're just casually tossing it out. It's like in, in Lilo and Stitch where he goes, Beach a malacuista. And then, like, people literally <laughs> throw up and faint in horror because it's so rude, whatever it means. <laughs> But yeah, it's so much, to, so much to really like and dig into in this episode. And it was, you know, I think it was a, it was a treasure trove of deep cut Star Wars references. Mm. So, as Jimbo's pointed out, you know, those those shock troopers, or what are they called at the end? Well, p- potentially dark troopers. dark troopers. I think they'll just end up being non-specific super stormtroopers, but they could be dark okay. troopers or shadow troopers. So little things like that. You know, I'm slightly worried now about the amount of required reading. Writing, watching, <laughs> yeah. and playing we have to do to really keep up with all these references. Yeah. You know, like, oh, we know our Star Wars, but Jimbo aside, I think we are perhaps restricted to yeah. the, the main movies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, now I have to go, I have to watch Rebels I mean, and Clone Wars and play games. I, like, I read a couple of the books back in the day, you know, but like not all of them. Um, James, I have, I do have a question about those dudes at the end. We had super looking stormtroopers in black in Rogue One. Along with um, the death okay, troopers, so it's yeah. not different from that. And, we, and Gideon, different okay, and Gideon troopers. also turned up with um, similar-looking dudes when he appeared at the end of last season. Are they also death troopers? Yeah, he, those were death troopers. Yeah, so death troopers are just different type right. of armor, something like they're a crack elite squadron. These actually, the face plates of these looked a lot like the 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 flame troopers from the first oh, okay. order. But again, it was quite hard mm. to make them out. Like they they look like bigger, chunkier versions yeah. of the flame troopers. Yeah, mm. when everything is black and shiny, it's quite hard to make out. Yeah, everything sort of blurs together. But either way, they look like burly stormtroopers. Okay, thank you. Yeah, love a burly stormtrooper. Uh, also, enjoyed the fact that there were there were Ponda Babas as well. The walrus face yes. aliens had a nice little uh, moment in the sun, which was good at the beginning, getting their asses soundly mm. kicked by Cara Dune <laughs> in a very nice little I sequence. liked um, <laughs> when she used one as a, I was going to say human shield, but a Ponda yeah. Barbarian yeah. shield. Uh, yeah. It was a great yeah. little touch in there when she elbowed that one in the face. It was a really great little uh, action beat. Yes, and it's cute that she then adopted the ferret thing yeah it looked like a meerkat didn't yeah, it it was like a sort of it stood up like a meerkat but it ran on the ground like a ferret it was mm. like a sort of two-in-one mm. rodent whatever it is yeah. i want one <laughs> <laughs> she's not got her furry yeah. own baby yoda <laughs> but it's not gonna have loads uh, of memes nah, exactly hey it was a dank ferret 
Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Dank Ferret. I love it. That's its new name. Very that good. is it, officially. <laughs> Dank but Ferret. Even things like, um, so talking about the throwbacks, even things like the at the end of the episode, it being revealed that they've put a tracking beacon on the mm. Razor Crest. I mean, that's straight mm. out of the Imperial playbook. Yep. Uh, we've seen that many, many times before. And, uh, you know, in the lecture that the protocol droid gives, if you are paying attention, because it is on the subtitles, you know, they do, uh, they do list what the protocol droid is saying. Uh, there's lots of talk about Corellia and the Kessel Run and lots of different systems. And I think they even refer to the Maelstrom they do, yeah. that we see in Solo. Acadian or Acadian Maelstrom or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I had a little bit of an issue with that. Okay, because we saw Solo, a Star Wars story. We may not have wanted to, but they made it, so we did. <laughs> and the Kessel Run does not look like a major trade route. It looks like a tiny offshoot to a particular one planet in the middle of that mess. Like so when when the droid says name me five major trade routes and they name the Kessel Run, you're a bit like, that did feel like fan service. That really felt like playing for the gallery. Um not yeah. obviously Han may have taken a particular obviously did take a particular route through it, certainly on the way back. Mm-hmm. But you know, even the way there did not look like a major I love that right. whole point of like Star Wars mythology and lore has come out of the fact that George Lucas didn't mm-hmm. realize that a parsec was a measure yeah. of distance. Like this, this is just him not understanding that has caused this whole mess. <laughs> so much of a mess. Bless him. Ah, oh, well. But yeah, still a great episode, I thought. Oh, yeah. And uh, well directed by Carl Weathers. It felt mm-hmm. really, really mm-hmm. Star Wars. It moved at a feral yeah, lick. Uh, I'm fascinated by the time frame in which this episode takes place because it feels like it takes place in about 20 minutes of, <laughs> you know, of time. So, so Mando lands on Dave Navarro and then, you know, they, he immediately gets roped in by Grief, Karga and Cara Dune to mm-hmm. go on this insane mission and Mando being Mando he just goes yeah alright sounds good to me I haven't done my due diligence but I trust you guys no one has ever betrayed me before and nothing bad has come of my impulsive decisions so I am all in so they go off and they do the thing and then Grief says to him at one point um, he goes oh it's going to take ages for your ship to be repaired so yeah we've got loads of time let's go and let's just, let's just go and knock off this place uh, and then by the end of the episode obviously the Razor Crest has been repaired like super repaired like super yeah. Super, super duper repaired. So, you know, what is this like a week of time in the Faro? Yeah. Just compressed into obviously it's not real time. I know that. Well, I'm not like an idiot. Quick fit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's quick fit. So <laughs> here's why I don't think it's a week, um, because uh Baby Yoda would not have the same pack of macarons, first yeah. of all. Also true, yeah. So at best it's half an hour. <laughs> Fuck me, they work fast. I know. Secondly, um, I did have questions about the um, geography of the planets, you'll be glad to know. And um, (laughs) the reason I have them may be down to a quirk of Star Wars cartography, if you will. So Uh Grief Cargo shows him a map and he says, this is Navarro. (laughs) We're here. And over Uh here, on what looks like the other side of the planet, is Uh this base and we need to get rid of them so the whole planet will be fine. But, like, it's not very far. No, they get in a speeder and they're there before Baby Yoda has, has finished, finished his macaroons. His so so that know. doesn't seem like a long time at all because we know how he eats. I just, I, I do have concerns about their geography. How tiny is this planet? Is it like is it like the Mars moon of Ceres, which is really, really minuscule? Really tiny. Really tiny. Maybe it's that. I just, But, you know, then how do they have, like, a standard 1G gravity, it seems like? I just, I have many questions. 
that's not we cannot bring science into Star Wars, Helen. We can't. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is, is true. true. It doesn't. It doesn't withstand the, the science. The ship thing did confuse me though, because they really did make a point of like this is going to take ages, so you might as well help us out while you're mm. stuck here for a while. So the fact that... Because I, I actually thought it might be building towards... Like, I, I love the Razor Quest. Ra- I keep saying this, Laser Quest. <laughs> the laser I, I love quest. the Laser Quest. Um, but I wondered if they were building it up towards that ship is going to get written off and he's going to have to get a new ship and it's going to be... Because he, he, he upcycles Wash his armour. He at some point needs to get a new crib for Baby Yoda because that other one got mm. mulched as well. So he needs another crib for <laughs> Baby Yoda. Um, and that part of maybe him sort of tooling up as the show goes on is that he gets different ships and moves around. Um, so when it got... When the Razor Crest uh, got really badly beaten up last week, I thought that was maybe leading towards a... Uh, you're going to have to trade in. You're going to have to get yourself a new ship. And then... <laughs> uh, no, very very quickly they've they've fixed it up after the Mon Calamarians or whatever did a truly truly terrible job of just putting some ropes on it and hoping for the best I mean who ties a spaceship together with string like I just don't approve if we're going to bring science into this I do have questions as well about how (laughs) long it takes to travel between planets Mm -hmm. because it if you can't travel in hyperspace, which cuts down the length of the journey considerably the Razor Crest isn't travelling very fast right it's it's on his last legs, so to speak. One quarter impulse so, maximum, yeah. Isn't, isn't that Star Trek? Yes. What's happening? Oh, God. Oh, God, we're <laughs> yeah. crossing the streams. Wait, that's Ghostbusters. Uh, but, you know, it would take ages to get from Earth to Mars, for example. So, you know, but he seems to be just going from bumbling around from planet to planet in a course of a few hours. Mm. So how fast is he traveling? What is going on? Does anyone really care? I don't know. I think the answer to the last one is probably a no anyway. Probably not. Probably, probably. not. The fact that the Razor Crest was fixed did lead to my very favourite part of the episode, which was uh, when the um, big chase was happening at the end. I thought that was such an exciting chase. And there is just an amazing, amazing shot that made me feel so exhilarated uh, when the, the, the Razor Crest is flying straight up into the air and then it hovers and it hangs and then it goes mm. straight into the nosedive. And it made my stomach flip in exactly the same way as that amazing shot that I love so much in The Force Awakens. Uh, in the Millennium Falcon chase on Jakku there's just like a weird like the camera moves in a certain way and the Millennium Falcon moves in a certain way and every time it makes my stomach go warm Mm. and uh, I got that feeling from this this Razor Crest manoeuvre and then you have that incredible shot where it's coming down from the top right hand side of the screen and mm-hmm. the, the TIE fighters mm-hmm. coming in from the bottom left and they're heading straight mm-hmm. towards each other in a an intergalactic game of chicken uh, yeah. I did wonder if it was going to go full Fast and Furious for a second um, <laughs> but I, I thought that chase was just so exciting and the, the mm-hmm. sort of as much as they fixed the ship up very quickly the the triumphant return of the Razor Crest <laughs> and, and the dazzling manoeuvres that he was able to pull off in it um, sort of overrode any of those questions for me. Yeah. Also, at the risk of being an Atmos twat, the uh, it's broadcast on Disney Plus in Dolby Atmos, and the sound mix on that was mental. <laughs> like it was really, really good. I loved the sort of lasers coming up, left, right, up, down. It was oh, great. Yeah, it was great. That's good. Yeah, I watched it on my computer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thanks, no. thanks a bunch, Jimbo. Thanks a bunch. Yeah, but I, 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 my favorite shot in the episode also comes from that chase. But it's the the moment when he arrives. Mm. We're waiting for it. We're waiting for a Deus Ex Mando. But when you know when he does arrive, it's fantastic and the way he just swoops in the razor crest just swoops in and that now iconic shape which reminded me a little bit of the spaceship from battle beyond the stars it's the first time i've really made that connection and that was tremendous and you know ludwig goransson's music mm. 
kicked it up a notch this week as well in his kind of, you know, not quite Imperial March, but very, very ominous vibes. Also, oh, yeah, this is a good point. Did you notice whenever we see the clone or the whatever it is, the bodies in the um, in the fats and the the, yeah. the 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 fats of juice uh, on the imperial base? If you listen very carefully, it feels a little bit like he's going for the uh, something that's reminiscent at least of the emperor's theme. You know the interesting. I, I did notice when when Kara was talking to Teva at the end, the music there was. Like a slowed down, prettier, more orchestrated version of a classic Star Wars theme. I don't know. I may be overthinking it, but it sounded very familiar. I've got to go back and re-listen to it mm. now, because uh, if if so, that would be the first time he has done anything like that. Yeah, I you may know, be wrong. But everything is familiar, but not not, not uh, reusing old cues. Uh, that is for sure. But yeah, the the Razor Crest swooping in to save the day at the end was was terrific. Because mm. I was wondering, I, I was on edge a little bit because you know I think pretty much any character in this bar Mando and bar Baby Yoda is expendable mm. and I was thinking is this going to be is this why Carl Weathers is directing this episode as well because it's Grief Karga's great big swan song from from, no. from the show but no he and his lovely new goatee beard are going to stick around to fight another day um, and Cara Dune remind me guys did we know she was from Alderaan? I think we did. I think we found that out in yeah. the first series. I think okay. when he first I think, yeah. everything clearly. <laughs> Looking for laugh in older on um, places. Because I think maybe James said exactly that joke last <laughs> yeah, series. Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty certain. I'm pretty certain I rolled that gag out in in our first round of these. <laughs> that is tremendous. Uh, because I just I didn't remember such a it was clearly such a big thing. Such a big thing was being made of it in this episode mm. that I thought, oh, is this new information? Oh, no, it's, it's old information, but just being presented maybe in a slightly different way. But she lost everyone. She did lose everyone. I was confused that Teva's wording again confused me. It was something like I fought in during, Al- during Alderaan. Alderaan. And it's like, well, that, yeah. was, that wasn't long, was it? <laughs> like- <laughs> <laughs> just a few parsecs, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris, please. <laughs> Here's a question. So, what did he leave her? What was that? Was that? Was, I think it was a it was badge. Like a, I think it was almost like a. Yeah, it seemed like a like medal, a didn't badge. it? Because it had the stripes below it, like the medal. So, I wasn't sure. Was it, was it a new Republic medal? Was it like an old, you know, uh, an old Rebel commendation thing? I didn't know what that I, I was. I think it's more of a badge than a medal. Like, I think it's meant to be useful rather than uh, or- ornamental. Uh, I thought it was a communicator. I also that also crossed my mind. I've read online this yeah. that they went with badge. But, Who's like? I don't know, people. Who are these people you're reading online? <laughs> All the dank farracks on the internet. Yeah. What do they say about macarons versus macarons? Look, everybody knows it's macarons. I didn't have to ask about that. It's clearly a macaron. Like, yeah, see, Helen, macaroon is hotties for macarons. Yes. So that's fine. Oh, okay, then fine. Does anyone actually exist, Helen, or, or that you're talking about, this, this delay that you're talking about, or are you in communication with the midichlorians via the wills? Yeah, it's a Donald Trump kind of they, you know. <laughs> they many say. People, many, many people, people are saying say. this. They many say this. people, many great people, very fine people on both sides are saying oh, that no. it's a badge. Lots of badges. We've got so many badges. I think it's a communicator. I think it's a Star Trek type thing. And she's going to put it on her, you know, lapel and she's going to go, boop, boop, boop. Mm. Dune to Teva. They don't always hit it, though. That's the problem with Star Trek communicators, isn't it? They sometimes <laughs> forgot to hit them, to turn them on and turn them off. And yeah. Mm. So she, hopefully she'll have better communicator etiquette if that is the case. 
Indeed. So yes, so Cara Dune's clearly going to be coming back at some point. Uh, what do we think of Grief Karga? Is he going to be coming back to save the day? Doesn't he seem kind of um, Lando-y right now? Like he feels like he has, you know, settled down and become governor of Cloud City and now he's trying to make things work for his people. Again. Like Another throwback. Yeah, uh, I think very this, much this, so. this studded with intentional throwbacks yeah, 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 to, to, to the original trilogy in particular. So yeah, I, I thought I that know. as well. I wonder if he's just going to get really, really into capes. I, you know. <laughs> yeah, even even down to, uh, you know, and then I realized that, you know, we do know who the Imperials or Moff Gideon's spy in the ranks is. It's that twat mechanic. Uh, but... Initially, I was thinking, "Oh God, is it? You know, is he going full Lando, and is he no. selling out his mates?" But no, he's not. He's not. Grief Cargo would never do that. I suspected Mithril of, of selling them all out at some point. I was sure, like they were setting that up, like he was going to betray them at any second. I, I thought, and uh, I was pleasantly, I suppose, surprised that he did not. Well done, Mithril. Well done, him. Yeah, good work. Good to see him back. I thought mm. it's fun. It ties the whole thing together, doesn't it? it like makes makes the show feel it does make it feel a bit more like a tv show in the mm. sense that like i think one of the things that was really striking about the first series was um that it did feel like something halfway between movie and tv i think there are points where the series has felt a little bit more tv but then you get the 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 mm. big sort of full-on action set pieces and it feels more movie again i don't mind it actually in the show i think weirdly the tv-ness of it makes it okay but it always really irked me in the movies where they keep bringing characters yeah. it's like stop making the galaxy small mm. it's just it's, it's supposed to be a whole galaxy can we not have the same why does everyone's parents seem to be fucking like why is everyone related it's just utterly <laughs> unnecessary uh i just think you yes. know explore the whole galaxy new, new things, things are good too yes but in in mando i think it's fine i mean on the on the grief cargo front um you could just tell that I, I obviously he was directing the episode as well but carl weathers was just having a blast here like you get some really great moments i love grief cargo's laugh uh when he's in that chase at the end when he's uh <laughs> doing the turret gun on the ship and he yeah. blasts that guy who was about to chuck the grenade um mm. into the transport and he just lets out this amazing chuckle that um was just really infectious <laughs> and there was a moment as well i think when they um when they're escaping in the transport and they have that big drop off the edge of the um imperial base and there's a shot of all uh three of them in in the uh sort of cockpit of of mm. that transport and they all do it like a whoa face <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was like That's really great. pulpy and fun and his face in particular go back and pause on it yeah. it's just a joy he was yeah. like just having a great time you you can feel obviously he's invested in this to the extent that he's directing it but you can feel him investing mm. in getting to play this character and and return as him and I'm I'm sure the fact that he's um, made this episode w will mean that Grief Cargo will be will be back he's not done in the Star mm. Wars uh, universe in the Mandalorian uh, for, for now but uh, yeah going back to Mithril I was glad to see him back because I think you know, I don't know whether he was back because people really liked him in the first episode but I, I, I like the idea that this is a big long form thing and that mm. characters you think are insignificant are going to come back again and Horatio Sands I know from listening to interviews with him uh, is a massive Star Wars fan so I'm just glad oh, yeah. he was back because he was so much fun in that first episode yeah. So uh, and he was he was a lot yeah. of fun here I love mm. that uh, he shoots one of the stormtroopers by accident <laughs> and you know just he's just like 
blind firing and yeah. shoots him. So even someone firing blind is a better shot than actual trained <laughs> stormtroopers. And the the line about um, what is it? I, I'm I'm still deaf in one ear since the carbon freezing. I like, can't see uh, my left eye. Can't see in one eye. Okay, so it's uh, again another callback. I thought it was that was good. Um, I mean the stormtroopers thing is interesting. That the fact that they can't shoot it, it must. Look, I've decided it must be a deliberate nod to the fact that apparently most soldiers never fire their guns in war. They find out this in like World War One. Yeah, they just don't. In in the Star Wars universe, then are they all just going, "Oh shit, oh shit, we actually have to do something." <laughs> and yeah, that's remember why your they're... training. <laughs> remember your training. They're just kind of they're just kind of like they're, they're we know they're conscripts. We know that they're essentially child soldiers brought in. You know, they aren't such bad people. They don't want to kill anybody. They're just you know firing a bit. Maybe they're deliberately not hitting anything, is what I'm saying. Well, what do you think? Do you yeah. think? Maybe There's they're a bit all of conscientious really good people. Going on? Yeah. yeah, maybe they're all okay. really good people, and our heroes have been killing these cons- child conscripts this whole time when the child conscripts were trying their best not to kill them. Well, we don't know they're child conscripts. You know, First Order used, used child True. conscripts. Uh, these could well be, you know, Imperial Academy graduates, you know, with honours. I mean, it's possible. I mean, that's what the Han Solo signed up the Imperials, of course. True, that's right, he did. Katie M. O'Brien, who plays the uh, the sort of communications officer, she like felt like that felt like a role that we're going to see more of, didn't yeah. it? Like, mm. it felt that that was that yeah. was that was not a throwaway thing. I mean, she doesn't have a name. Like, her character is literally comms mm. officer, so maybe that's all we're going to see. But she she was very impressive in her line as a comms yeah, officer. Yeah, I was wondering who is this person we've never seen that's, before. That's who my is... point. I thought, is this someone relevant? Is this someone important? I looked it up, and her name is comms <laughs> officer. So I'm going to say no. In fairness, this is Star Wars. That could be her name. She could be <laughs> yes. comms, comms officer. officer. Comms officer. <laughs> Anything is possible. Uh, we should talk about the return of Omid Abtahi as Dr. Mm. Pershing. Yes, he's great. Yeah, uh, really so he's back, back, back. And he is you know, promising that he won't fuck up and he won't let Moff Gideon down again. Cut to him fucking up and letting Moff Gideon down again, no doubt. <laughs> um, but yeah, good to see him back. Also. Yeah, I liked seeing a different side of that because we had that moment where he saw Mando last series and he was like, I'm trying not to harm the baby. I'm trying to like stay alive and... and but only give him a little bit of what he needs and make sure the baby's safe. So then to see him playing the other side to to Moff Gideon and being like, oh, I could only take this much blood. Well, we're going to have to get more samples from him. Returning to that character and seeing him sort of having to appease the other side when we last saw him trying to uh, appease Mando. Mm. See, this is why I think it's Palpatine. I think it's I think it's Palpatine because, you know, say, for example, they found him. He's got either clone body or something's happened. If you had been basically reduced to your component parts, in the explosion of the second Death Star. And who among us hasn't? I mean, it comes to us all eventually. Uh, and it's just five years on, pretty mm. much, give or take. Although this episode seems to take place over a year, who knows? And uh, it's just five years on. So he would presumably be too weak, too weak to, to, you know, to, to come back. So perhaps he would need an infusion or even a transfusion of those precious uh, midichlorian cells. <laughs> I'd prefer... Profoundly hope this doesn't tie into all that bollocks. <laughs> I, I, I think it's just that well, he's creating some kind of mad buff clone army, and he wants to give buff them clone army. <laughs> they must be buff. I, I insist that they're extraordinarily. Buff. Buff. I want buff yeah. troopers. All buff troopers. Does that mean they're in the buff or they're buff? Both. Both. <laughs> both. both. Absolutely You've both. You've seen three hundred, right? That's what I'm going yeah. for. <laughs> Ripped in buff. This is Navarro, and then he kicks him into a well. 
<laughs> but he, yeah, he wants he wants buff uh, stormtroopers with Jedi powers. That seems to be that is what I got from it. The, the thing, the question I had at the end of that little um, monologue exposition dump, uh, which I watched a couple of times to try and get all the ins and outs of it. Who do we think is the volunteer? Because uh, is it? That's mm. who he references that their their next trial is with the volunteer, which felt like a sort of a mm. a, a thing. It seemed yeah. quite a pointed line. Um, so I, I'm, mm. it left me wondering who that's going to be. So we could end up with a kind of Sith type, artificially created Sith type mm-hmm. person. That'd be fun. Ooh. The volunteer, but the volunteer. He says that people have to have they have to have they have to be M people. So. They've got to search for the heroes. <laughs> they have to find somebody and ask them, what have you done today to make you feel proud? Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, my word. But so so they've got to be M people or Jedi or or they've got to be Force-sensitive in some way. Well, maybe they're trying to make people Force-sensitive, though. Maybe mm, that's, that's the That's what thing. I think they're doing. I think they're injecting them with, with midichlorians to make they, them Force-sensitive. They're taking a big old battery, which is Baby Yoda, mm-hmm. and draining that battery and putting it into Palpatine or Snoke. I think that's potentially uh, what's happening. I mean, happening. that's, that's, probably, that's possible so. also, but it would make more sense to me if they're trying to, like, Sith mm. up non-Sith people. Rather than yes, combing the galaxy so. for the few people who are Force-sensitive, isn't it much yeah. quicker to just make some? I, yeah, I think they found this cute, adorable little baby and they're horrible people <laughs> and they don't just want to befriend it um, and they want to take his midichlorians, stick it in some normies and see if they get all like juiced up by it. Is that that That's where I think it's, it's going. The plot of Iron Man 3. Yeah. It's, it's Extremis. I mean, <laughs> Baby Yoda <laughs> in Extremis. I mean, it's not on the plot of Estre- Extremis, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Baby Yoda in Extremis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> baby Yoda rocks is his password. Yeah. <laughs> With an X. Uh, was an X. Uh, right. So I think that's pretty much covered everything that we need to talk about. There's a couple of questions that some uh, listeners have sent in, mm-hmm. which is very, very nice of them. At Mr. Underscore Manager 73 has asked one already, but was that a row of dark troopers at the end? Was that a row of dark troopers at the end from the old Star Wars Dark Forces game? Do you know that game, Jimbo? I do, yes. Okay. I played it. It's basically with Star Wars Doom back in the day, uh, which I enjoyed quite a lot. It was uh, one of the one of the very early Star Wars, first-person shooter games. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was good. And yes, the Dark Troopers, so the whole plot of that was they were creating Dark Troopers, which were super storm troopers. And I believe in the game they had jetpacks and they were hard as fucking nails. <laughs> so, yes. I, like, I, like I said before, I don't know that this is necessarily Dark Troopers, though I, see, I think these are just sort of like generic super storm troopers. Okay, right. You know, they might have a nod back to that. Perhaps but. their armor will be able to withstand more than one blaster hit. <laughs> because yeah, not the, be made the, of plastic. The Stormtrooper's armor is absolutely shite mm. what's the yeah. point of well, it Beskar steel is very expensive it is very expensive and very very rare so but mm. even if even if a stormtrooper gets hit as far as i can tell on the arm or the leg it's a fatal blow <laughs> you, you never see them writhing around on the floor in pain afterwards. maybe it's conscientious objection again you know they're just they're just going down and staying down until the fight is over so they don't have to hurt anyone else those poor, yes. poor people okay let's let's go with that let's go with that uh at yorkie boy Touches on something we've discussed as well, creation story of a Snoke, that the child remains in hiding after the series is over, hence he's not mentioned in the sequel trilogy. Any hashtag Baby Yoda lives theory, I am 100% behind. Mm. I don't know, we've we've speculated that Baby Yoda could be some kind of clone or some kind of you know genetically engineered person. They could have stolen Yoda's DNA when he was head of the Jedi Council or whatever 50 years ago. Uh, we don't know. Uh, we don't know where he comes from. Hopefully we'll find out. 
We know that there are others of Yoda's species. There's speculation. They say, many people say online that Yoda's- Many fine people. Many fine people. uh, No, uh, that Yoda's species may be the Jedi species. Oh, I hate I know, that theory. I'm just it makes saying it. I'm just reporting. Don't shoot the messenger. Um, <laughs> I don't believe that. Other people are saying that. <laughs> that would be retconning to a huge extent. I don't. I don't. I don't like it, and I won't have I it. I know. I think it's probably crazy. But <laughs> in the same, but the thing is, I suppose the same because there's form because the Sith were originally exactly. a race before they became the Sith. But that is also a stupid thing that yeah, we don't like to talk about. Anyway, but it's out there. But we maybe you know maybe there is. Maybe there are more Yodas. Maybe they are under threat. Maybe they are... Yodai. Sure. Maybe they are threatened by this search for midichlorian rich blood. Good Lord and help us. they are, in fact, just like scouring the galaxy for macarons. <laughs> I mean, who among us wouldn't? You know, when you get one with like a really good one, I'm talking like Pierre May or La Durée, you know, with like maybe some uh, some passion fruit in the middle. Oh. I just, it seems like a waste of perfectly good sugar to me. I got to be honest with you. I just, I just feel like you're not trying hard enough. Just try, try some like, really give me a muffin. crazy. Give me a muffin or a good cookie. Yeah, but like these are like, much smaller, so you can eat them and not feel guilty. Put the cookie down. Put the cookie down. Down. Put it down. Your wife, your wife, your wife's cookies. Uh... I'd just like to shout out that um, the best muffin that I've ever had is uh, from Gail's Bakery. The chocolate muffin in Gail's Bakery mm-hmm. is absolutely exceptional. The chocolate in it is like pano chocolate <laughs> chocolate. So when you reach it, oh my God, it's so good and it's so See, fluffy. And it'd it's, have to work oh. pretty hard to beat a Hummingbird Bakery Red Velvet. I've got that's to be not, That's you. not a muffin. That's a cupcake, James. <laughs> what? Come on. <laughs> A red velvet yeah, is a There's a clear distinction there. Yeah, icing. Icing is the distinction. Hang on. So you're saying that a muffin with icing is now yes, a cupcake? Always has this, been. This is, this is just not the case. Like you, I like I like the the lemon muffins, which have the okay, sort that's, of the that's white a lemon icing on the top of things. That's a different thing. Ha! ha no, 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 no. But it's that's a muffin a with icing. A, therefore, not a cupcake. A muffin has a top. It has a peaked top. Whereas, yeah. yes, it, on a, so do the so do the red velvet. Yeah, because yeah, that's a peak of because icing. it's a peak of icing, not of. I, I I refuse to accept this ridiculous this, proposition. This whole episode has devolved into baking chat far too much. I love I love Bake Off, but can we just focus and keep it on topic, please? All right, thank you very much. Next question is that from Steve Nunn, 24. Now macaroons are established to be part of the Star Wars outfit. No, they're sake. not macaroons. No, now macarons are established to be part of the Star Wars universe. What French cuisine would you like to see featured next? Oh my God, so much of it. I mean, I'm pretty sure somebody's probably eaten snails at some point in Star Wars as He's well, already so that's already taken care of. Yeah. He has, that's true. <laughs> He's not had a good crepe, though, but that's only because he can't access the back part of Mando's ship, which is where the <laughs> and, uh, and maybe some cheesy potatoes, you know, or gratin, rather, mm. if you want to. Cheesy potatoes, that is. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's French. Yes, that famous know, French dish. Cheesy <laughs> potatoes. Oh, I do love a bit of cheesy potatoes. You sound like one of those people who goes to Spain and then just orders everything with HP sauce. Oh. <laughs> just brown sauce, brown sauce. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I would have more French pastry is is genuinely the answer. Yes. Mille I, I really do like that. They're not the Mille best feuille. ones. Why do you say milfoy like that? It's really Because of the correct pronunciation. For one thing, way I do love the 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 sort of flaky pastry of a way and also I would love to see a Star Wars character called Mithway. Well, it's uh, only a matter of time, I'm sure. I, I prefer the uh, tart passion framboise is uh, the best ones. Oh my god! Saying. I would like mm. to see a tart tatan, and that also sounds like Ooh. it could be a Star Wars character. Star Wars character is definitely a Star Wars character. Yes. I think he's a rebel pilot. Helen, do you remember Paris Buns? 
uh, vaguely. Yeah, so it's a Northern Irish thing. And then I discovered years later that it basically was just brioche. But in Northern Ireland, they're called Paris buns. They're great, big, wacky, look like Farley's rusks, but mutated. And they have just huge kind of sugar bits and studded in them. And my dad loved those. Mm. Loved those. Nice. Um, yeah, Paris buns. Basically just just brioche. That's, that's essentially what it is. I, I do love, I love a, uh, it's not really a pastry, so, so but I love creme brulee. I do Ooh, love a creme yeah. brulee. So if there's any way we can see that in the Star Wars universe, I don't know if you saw one, uh, there was one on MasterChef this week. It was a guy who served a creme brulee, but in bone marrow, bone marrow creme brulee. Uh-huh. Really? Naturally, he went through. Are we sure that that's yeah. a good thing? I mean, you may call him a hipster doofus, but uh, that is entirely up to you. Anyway, next question comes from at hipster underscore doofus. <laughs> and uh, he asks, does the Razor Crest have a washing machine on board or does Baby Yoda have a selection of outfits because that green vomit is going to stink? <laughs> yeah, he I needs- say washing machine. Yeah, it's got to be a washing machine. He only has that one coat. And to be fair, I don't really want to see him in anything else. It's a good look. Um, although actually, to be fair, if there was an episode in future where Baby Yoda is wearing a slightly different coat, that is all I would talk about for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you would talk about that. You would, what if he dressed, turned up one day dressed as, a, as an English dandy? You would love that, wouldn't you? You would just like you know, a little, get a little cane, a little cravat, Smart and little guy, little monocle, little everything. Mm. That'd be that'd be amazing. I, yeah, but I think this is we talked last week about is the fact that the razor razor crashed. Sean Connery is now starting in this podcast. The razor crashed. Uh, is the fact that the razor crest is becoming increasingly mangled and disheveled? Is that basically just a, a lame excuse for them to sell a new version of the razor crest oh. as toys and as Lego? And is it the same thing with Baby Yoda this week? Are you going to be able to go into Forbidden Planet when it reopens <laughs> and and pick up a, an action figure that says Baby Yoda? And then in brackets, Sick. green vomit. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just got puke down in front of his shirt. Oh, I hope not. I'll be first in line so. to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I may just put a little blue splash on my uh, baby Yoda On your plush. existing one. Oh my God. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh, okay. Last question is from Curator John. And he asks, where have all the Imperial English middle managers gone? Do you think that they either got let go in a post-Return of the Jedi Imperial restructure or were they blowing up on the Death Star? This is a very, very good point. This is a very mm. uh, American branch of the Imperials when, uh, by and large, we know that they have been a conservative I mean, the um, uh, British, uh, I mean, um, the Tories. I mean, they're bad. They've been bad is what I'm saying. Well, maybe this is the Outer Rims, though, isn't it? I mean, it's a Western, Mm. so it makes sense that all the effete English people, no disrespect to Ben, um, Mm -hmm. have uh, have stuck in the centre, in the central core, where it's safe. I agree. Okay. Yeah. Whilst everyone else is just making terrible policies back home. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Sounds good to me. They're just signing off on bullying there in the central core instead of being out here on the rim. (laughs) <laughs> oh dear too political <laughs> it is too political too political for me uh, alright that's it for this episode of The Mandalorian we discussed chapter 12 we will be back same Mando time same Mando channel next week to discuss chapter 13 of this <gasps> saga could be unlucky for some it is called according to Wikipedia and that is never wrong <laughs> The Jedi Yes. Yes. And it is written by and directed by Dave Filoni. And I yeah, I'm absolutely with Jimbo in this one. 
you don't have to be a Jedi to figure out that this one will feature the live-action debut of Ahsoka Tano. So, if you have not seen Clone Wars and Rebels, you have a week to get up to speed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that shouldn't be hard. Yes. Uh, Helen and I might do do a live reading of Wikipedia entries um, on on our stream yard. Uh, So keep and peel for that. Uh, But I'm very excited about that, especially if it is Rosario Dawson, as has been Mm. rumoured. I'm a soaking my pants in anticipation. Oh, oh no, come oh, on. Good God, <laughs> come, come on. on. Oh, no. ben. Ben. I mean, Jesus. What, the softening oh, no. helmets wasn't enough for you? Hey, it's just... I, I'd like to clarify, I meant like pissing myself and not the other thing. Oh. <laughs> Is that a thing you normally do? I'm not sure that's better. <laughs> that's not a good thing. <laughs> what yeah, God, what has happened? <laughs> People, people are listening to this because of the Carl Weathers interview, and they think we're deranged. We've spent the entire time talking about Mithuay and pissing ourselves. What's going and on? Baked goods, baked goods, lovely baked goods. Mm, baked oh my goods. god! Well, okay, that's on that bombshell. That is it. Definitely, that is it. We'll be back next week. Can't wait for that. Uh, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye. Frankly, he should be ashamed of himself, but <laughs> it is goodbye from Baby Yoda's first day of school. AKA, AKA Ben Travis. Where are those macarons? <laughs> Bring them here. Bye. <laughs> bye bye, Ben. It is goodbye from Simply Midichlorians, is his username on Squadcast this week, Jimbo Dyer. Indeed. Remember, a dank ferret is for life, not just for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's goodbye, of course, from uh, Bilbo's Mithril Coat. Mm. Explain yourself, Helen O'Hara. Well, you know, Mithril, his Mithril mm-hmm. coat. Like Mithril. Yeah, it was just, mithril. A, it was a, I mm-hmm. just that's all I could hear when they were talking about it during the episode. Helen's implying that Bilbo Baggins had a coat made out of the made alien Mithril. Made out of mithril. the alien Mithril. I, <laughs> yeah. That is exactly they what I'm saying. Yep. And turned him into a that's coat. What it, and that's that's what happened. It does glow I, I, blue. I wouldn't put it past the, uh, the elves. It does glow blue. Yep. That's absolutely See? true. So it's all, it's all here, man. It ties up. Yeah. Anyway, bye. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to put Ben's shorts into the Razor Crest's washing machine. <laughs> Sounds like it could do with a few cycles. Uh, thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye bye. Bye.